Nothing on this podcast is intended as legal advice, nor does it create an attorney-client relationship. Please be advised that this podcast also contains spoilers and swears. Welcome to Murder, She Woke, a podcast about photography, hoochie-coochie, and lots of openings for semen jokes. I'm your host, Laura. And I am your other host, Elizabeth. Well, I feel like we got our first semen joke out of the way with the... with the. Yes, angel. yes, but I hope there's much more semen jokes to come. <laughs> well, it's also really funny because apropos of that, we have our very own semen coming on the show... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like laughing at my own stupid fucking <laughs> to tell us all about Admiralty and Boat Law, which is actually pertinent to today's episode and not just because it gave us an opportunity to make another semen joke. So uh, a quick funny story. When I was practicing law, I had a client who emailed me and asked me to write a cease and desist letter. Not a cease, not a cease and desist, but a cease, S-E-A-S, and desist letter. And I responded and said, oh, I'm sorry, but we don't practice maritime law. What did they say? He said, no, just write a letter telling them to stop what they're doing. And I said, oh, yeah, I can do that. (laughs) We don't know that much about admiralty law or see stuff which is why we brought on a special guest so stay tuned for that after we get through this recap with a minimum of jokes about semen (laughs) are you ready to discuss season one episode 15 my johnny lies over the ocean oh i am so ready i love this episode this episode starts out with I couldn't figure out if it was like a flashback or an 80s dream or something, but it had that like kind of blurry outline. The edges are all soft and white and there's this lady. It just reminded me of a bad Lifetime movie. When she spends a lot of time like walking around a pool and then in the pool and then getting out of the pool and the lady walks into her house still in this dream or flashback or whatever and she sees supposedly her husband partner man who lives in the house with her he dead he's on the living room floor he's got a gun in his hand and you don't see his face or anything but you see that there's blood so you're like okay fine blood dead whatever and she she kind of has this freak out of course which would happen when you find your husband partner boyfriend dead i assume Then this person wakes up and like, it was a nightmare, but it was like also like a flashback nightmare. It turns out that this woman having a nightmare is confined to, I guess, a mental hospital. They refer to it as a sanitarium. And we see an older gentleman who is identified as Dr. McGill, which for those of you that don't know is Jessica's maiden name. So Dr. McGill is having a talk with the younger doctor who is apparently this woman's doctor. They're talking in exposition, but they're also kind of talking in that paternalistic way where they like can't trust a woman to have any agency or make any decisions for herself. So they're like talking about her in the third person about like what's best for her and how it's okay for her to go on this cruise because a woman who just spent a week in a mental hospital, like you want to like send her out to sea. There are two men discussing this woman's health and well-being like she's not an agent in her own care so that's super fun and it turns out that pamela who is the patient is dr mcgill's daughter jessica's niece one of many she and random hansen doctor are talking about pamela and her plans to go on a cruise ship and then we see pamela pull up in a cab and kind of wave and and she looks like she's a woman in her 20s she's 
normal looking, I guess. Like her hair is not as big as most people's hair in the show. So like she's she's kind of unremarkable, but like she's pretty. She she seems pleasant enough. After they they wave goodbye to Pamela, we see an 80s limo pull up to a cruise ship in a harbor at a place as yet undetermined. It is also interesting to note that this ship itself is actually like an old, old ship and it was not modern by its time, which was something that our special guest pointed out to me when we were watching it was like, that's a really fucking old ship. Why are they going on a cruise from something from like the 19th century? So that was kind of weird. So we see a random 80s couple, Andrea and George, and she makes a remark about having to call the office so we know that she's powerful and wears the pants in the family. And and George is just like, whatever. In the meantime, there is a incident it's like not an incident it's like a like a vignette or a an instance where dr mcgill is taking pictures of jessica and pamela jessica wants dr mcgill in the photo so they flag down a random passerby who happens to be andrea power lady and they ask her to take a photo and she's sitting there looking at a camera like it's like from outer space. Like she doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know what buttons to push. And she probably put her thumb over the flash or something terrible like that. I don't know. But she's struggling with the camera. She finally gets a picture. And then they kind of go their separate ways onto the ship. Apparently, we also learned through exposition that there is like an actual like photo lab on the ship where you can get your photos developed on the ship. So I don't know if that is standard. I have no idea either. I I thought that was odd that people would probably just wait till they got home to get their pictures developed. But the show wouldn't have worked if, (laughs) yeah, if there wasn't a photo development lab on. They want to get the photos developed so they can see what it's like to be on the ship (laughs) that they're still on. So in the meantime, we see a cab pull up and two women get out and they have suitcases and they are running because they are late. And I have them down here as knockoff Laverne and Shirley, but you had some interesting factoid about one of them, which was something that I didn't know. Yes. So one of these ladies is Vicki Lawrence, who was on the Carol Burnett show and who is also she also played Mama in Mama's Family, which was a hilarious show, I think in maybe the 60s-ish, right around the Carol Burnett era, which may have been 50s. I'm not real sure. But Vicki Lawrence is hilarious. She's probably one of my favorite side characters that has appeared on the Once show. Once we get on the ship, they're walking around and Pamela and Jess are kind of talking about Johnny who was Pamela's husband about his suicide and how it completely fucked her up in the head. And she's having all these nightmares and she's got the sads, which is reasonable. And it's not entirely clear how much time has passed between when her husband offed himself and when this is taking place. And I feel like that would be important information to know for like a lot of reasons, but they never go into it. But it seems like it's not even that much time because they have her in the sanatorium and then she goes on a cruise. It's like, okay, was there like six months in between there? Was there like between the death and the sanatorium? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's completely unclear. I was thinking she was there for a year. I don't know why I was thinking that. I have no reason to think that she was there for a year. That's just what I thought. Yeah, I thought it was just like a temporary thing and that this this wound was fresh because as we learn later, like this bitch is literally carrying around her husband's suicide note like in her carry-on luggage. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. But anyway, so Jessica's trying to get her mind off of it. And one way of getting your mind off your dead husband, I guess, is to rebound with a very handsome nerd that they bump into on the ship, who is this age-appropriate, like, youngish but non-threatening man 
who is on this trip by himself. So I think he gets a name eventually, but I don't remember what it is. No idea. Jessica excuses herself to go cash some traveler's checks, which is a super cool throwback. And also don't tell anybody that I had traveler's checks in 2011 because I was going to Europe and I thought you had to do that and I was dumb. (laughs) I didn't realize my credit card could work over there, but turns out they'll take your money in any form that you give it to them. Down in the purser's office i thought i had misheard i thought it was bursar like at a university oh that makes sense but turns out it actually is purser like p-u-r-s-e-r which is a nautical term for the bursar on the ship essentially so it wasn't until i looked up what the a purser was for so i i always thought that a purser was like the guy who carries the luggage because he was obviously carrying the women's purses onto the ship so he's just the luggage guy i was wrong yeah the purser is this very nice 40 something year old lady with big hair i think her name is i wrote it down shelly shelly yes so Jessica, as a way, I guess, of kind of wheedling some information, puts on this big song and dance about how she's so sorry that her publisher had to use her influence to get her onto this overbooked ship and blah, blah, blah. To which Shelly says, oh, no, nobody wants to be on this cruise. It's terrible. We're only 90% booked and a lot of the bookings for last minute. So I'm not entirely sure why at this point that information was relevant or why Jessica wanted to know, but it again, becomes relevant later. Back in the Pam's cabin, she has, she still has this ad, again, completely understandable. She brought her husband's suicide note along on mm-hmm. vacation, which I got into a little bit of an argument with the other person I was watching the show with about whether that was weird or not. And she had mentioned like, it's not weird to carry around a picture of your deceased relative or husband or whatever. But I'm like, a suicide note isn't a picture. Like, I mean, I think you can look at a picture and remember the good times, but if you're carrying around a suicide note, that serves one purpose. And I mean, I I can't imagine going through that situation, having a loved one, especially a spouse, commit suicide. So I, I can't say what I would or would not bring with me on a cruise ship, but it's definitely dark. It's definitely dark. I'll say that. Yeah, and it's it's kind of, I don't want to say sad, because that's not quite the tone I'm looking for. Like, you really feel bad for, for Pamela, because she's obviously suffering. She's dwelling on it. She's blaming herself. And she kind of explains to Jess that her husband had recently found out before his death that he was adopted and that his mother was a 17-year-old unwed teenager and it was unclear about whether they had made contact. I think she had reached out to him, but there had been, I don't know if there had been any reply on his part, but for some reason she thinks that her husband committed suicide because he was ashamed of being the child of a teenager, of a teenage mother, I guess. That and he was in financial trouble. Yeah, it just seemed like... And I, and I realize, like, it's different now looking at it 30 years later, maybe being adopted as a child of, like, a teenager is one thing. But, like, I wouldn't see that as, like, particularly something to be ashamed of because it's not really your fault, right? Right. Or, I mean, certainly not to the point of suicide kind of shame. Yeah, so that... I mean, just, like, there was at least a dozen people in my high school class that were 17-year-old unwed mothers, so... It's, I mean, this day and age. Yeah, like, I knew, yeah, in fact, it was in my neck of the woods, if you got to, like, 20 without having a kid, like, you had beaten the odds. So, yeah, it was, it was fun growing up there. But, so, 
Pam blames herself and then Jessica gives her this long lecture about how marriage isn't perfect and Pam asks her to read the suicide note which is really again a strange thing to do but it does drive the plot forward because we're essentially supposed to see what Johnny her husband's handwriting looked like because that comes up later. All of a sudden, when she's about to read the suicide note, they're interrupted by your friend Pepe Le Pew, who's actually <laughs> Italian. Okay, he's the Italian version of Pepe yeah, Le Pew. What do you want from me? That somehow. I'll, I'll get back to you on that. So he's bringing in some, I think it's champagne, and there's a note on the champagne, with the champagne, it just, I don't remember what exactly it said, but it was in Johnny's handwriting. So every time an instance of this weird shit comes up, my notes say, from beyond the grave, in all caps, because I think that's hilarious, and I made myself laugh while I was watching it. Obviously, this doesn't sit very well with Pam and doesn't make her feel very good. So we're kind of left with her, like, essentially losing all the progress she made during her heart-to-heart with Jessica. Again, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, she yeah has a, somewhat of a breakdown. And I think it was mainly, maybe not mainly, but at least partially due to the fact that the note called her Pepper, which was Johnny's nickname yeah, for her. and no one else called her that. So I guess handwriting can be faked, but maybe not a secret pet name. So that that's a little weird, but who knows? So we, we go to the dining room and we see Nagloff, Laverne, and Shirley bribe the maitre d' so that they can sit next to this Oklahoma cattle baron who is apparently on this cruise and then we meet george from earlier and he recognizes jessica and he says he likes her books and andrea kind of wanders by and she makes the comment that he does all the reading in the family because she's so busy being like a successful businesswoman and uh, after they leave Jessica points out handsome nerd again and uh, Pamela's like nah. Pam looks down at her menu loses her shit because on the specials for the menu is a chicken dish that was her husband's favorite but that she had actually invented so that it wasn't even it wasn't even like something from the joy of cooking or whatever it was like literally like somebody stole a recipe card out of her kitchen and put it in this menu so she starts freaking out jessica goes back to shelly down at the purser's office and tries to unravel the mystery of the champagne and it turns out that the champagne was paid for in cash with a note with instructions on it and Jess notices that the handwriting on the note matches the writing on the suicide note. Pamela is taking a deck walk and we see we see knockoff is it knockoff Shirley? Shirley's the brunette right? She is hanging out with this Oklahoma cattle baron who apparently looks like he stole a costume from the set of Dallas and just kind of like snuck onto the scene and they're walking and all of a sudden they kind of get to the top of of the stair of a staircase and they look down and they see pamela and she's just like sprawled out and it's unclear what's going on pam wakes up in the infirmary and captain leslie nielsen is there giving a little bit of exposition as to what happened apparently she just fell and i think like hit her head but it appears that somebody had pushed her she insists that there's some funny business going on with all this from beyond the grave shit jessica insists that pamela's spend the night in the infirmary and she insists that she have a guard at all times and she's kind of just giving orders to the captain and Jessica wants to kind of mount her own murder investigation and inform the passengers and tell everybody there's a murderer on the loose but the captain wants to keep it all hush hush because he doesn't want his passengers knowing that there's a murderer running around and I guess at this point Jessica says 
that the only target the or the target of the murder was only her niece so nobody else would be in danger so no big deal right but I feel like there's not enough information to make that call. Jess and Pam are taking a walk with somebody who Cole, our special guest, nicknamed C-Cop because he was just this random ass officer who was like trailing them, like acting as like the bodyguard slash lookout or whatever. They're really like leaning into this unwed teenager bit. They kind of arrive at the assumption that whoever is fucking with Pamela on the ship must have been Johnny's real mother. I'm not really sure how they got there. Let's see. How does that translate? Oh, it must be his birth mother, like, 30 years later or 20 years. Uh, So at this point, though, they haven't determined that it's the birth mother. Yeah, but they're suspecting because that comes up pretty early as a theory that Jessica has because she comes to the assumption or or she kind of posits later that there are basically four people on board that could be his birth mother, either Andrea, Laverne or Shirley, and Miss Shelley, the purser, and that both Laverne and Shirley and Miss Shelley were last minute additions to the cruise, meaning they booked after Jessica and Pamela booked, which meant they knew she theoretically knew she was on the thing. I think that that Jessica's theory is that whoever is terrorizing Pam has a reason to terrorize Pam. And it's clearly connected to Johnny. And the only person she could think of that would kind of blame Pam for Johnny's death would be Johnny's birth mother. It's a very, uh, very big leap, I I will say. They're discussing this while they're walking. They run into Handsome Nerd again. He's not wearing glasses this time. And then Jessica suddenly has to excuse herself because she has to go do something somewhere. Handsome Nerd and Pamela are talking and he's talking about how his wife divorced him about six months ago because I guess she didn't understand that he wanted to be more than a copywriter and that bitch. That's kind of the vibe I got from him. We go to the captain's quarters or the captain's office where Jessica is on the boat phone to her brother and It appears that she is trying to circumvent the procedures of the justice system to either unseal adoption records or to dig up a birth certificate that would identify Johnny's birth mother. So anyway, Jessica narrows it down to one of four people and they're back on the deck again, Pepe Le Pew. He brings Jessica her photos and he sexually harasses her again, asking (laughs) if she was like, do you want to see my hoochie coochie or something? Okay, so I actually looked this up. Oh, no. He was not referring to his penis. What was it? So a hoochie coochie is a type of provocative belly dance. So being from Georgia, there was this great mid 90s country song by Alan Jackson about the Chattahoochee River. And it starts out. Way down yonder on the Chattahoochee, it gets hotter than a hoochie coochie. I mean, I know what a hoochie is, and I know what a coochie is. So would it be a hoochie's coochie? I don't know. After he finishes sexually harassing her again, the the PA system starts paging Pepper Crane, who is Pamela, and again, loses her shit. Not that I blame her, but she goes to the purser's office, and there's a telex for her, and it had like Western Union on the sheet of paper, which was a major telegram. Yeah. So she gets this telegram from Beyond the Grave, and it tells her that he loves that jo- it's from Johnny, and he, he tells her that he loves her in this telegram from Beyond the Grave. Again, she just loses her shit and has to be carted off to the infirmary. The captain and Jessica interrogate Michelle, who admits that the reason why she got on the ship at the last minute is because she was trying to get away from her married boyfriend's wife, which is 
pretty legitimate of a reason to hop on a ship and go away. The captain wants to go with her to interrogate people in the dining room, but she does this whole like appeal to his ego about how he's so macho and handsome and imposing that all these women would basically turn into puddles of goo in his wake and not be honest. And he like appears to buy it. So she goes into the dining room by herself where she tries to interrogate Laverne and Shirley who are stuffing themselves with desserts and lamenting being in their forties. And then Jessica sits down and she pretends to do a gossip and starts talking about how the ship is cursed and how it's jinxed. And she's trying to figure out like, why are these ladies on it? Like this, this cursed ship. And it turns out to be like kind of a boring reason because they had use it or lose it vacation time and now they can't go to China. So she runs into George in the dining room. He said that Andrea's back at the cabin, I guess, like taking a nap or something. And he's wearing an ascot and he looks like a real shit weasel. And that's just my impression of him. We had actually learned earlier on that they had only recently been married. So they had been, they had actually honeymooned on this ship. And it appears that only been married for like a short period of time. We get back to the cabin and nobody answers the door. And then eventually they break in and Andrea is like passed out on the bed and she's not moving. And she appears to be dead. And there's like an empty bottle of barbiturates because that seems to be like the weapon of choice around here. And I guess... Pepe Le Pew, who was supposed to be keeping an eye on her, was like really shitty and bad at his jobs. We discover in Andrea's effects that she has spy photos of Pam and Johnny that looks like they were taken with a telephoto lens. And this pretty much proves Jessica's theory that Andrea was... Uh, Johnny's real mom and it's not clear why she was on the ship and but essentially the working theory is that she was terrorizing Pamela as revenge for I guess indirectly killing her son. George is derping around like he pretends like he doesn't know anything and then he like talks about how she was so upset like if he would have just kept his mouth shut saying he didn't know anything, he would have done much better for himself. He does this Could his be. thing when people lie. It's like they give like too much detail. Like detail you wouldn't, if you weren't lying, you wouldn't think to offer this detail. But because you are lying, you think that you need to offer this detail to really drive it home that you're not lying. So George is really bad at being a widower. He just like straight up doesn't give a shit. He's like back on the deck and Jessica talks to him and she plants this story about a private eye. And she says, well, Andrea must have hired one because of all these telephoto photos. And George says, oh no, Andrea was an expert photographer. And we know from earlier that she doesn't even know what a camera is. So Jessica knows it was George, but she can't prove it. She's trying to tell the captain that he needs to do captain stuff and detain him. And he's pushing back against her. And he's kind of got a point. He doesn't want to end up being on the hook for false imprisonment or God knows what else. Basically, there's no evidence that he's committed a crime much less murder yeah because they don't even know at that point that it is murder she's obviously dead but like was it suicide or murder and jess is trying to sell him this theory and he's like nah bro nah george is toasting his dead wife's picture and twirling his mustache while he talks to himself about how much money that he has now that she's dead okay can i make a comment here that is a very large picture of Andrea. Just Andrea. Why would they have brought this very large picture of just Andrea onto the cruise? I had that like exact same thought. <laughs> it was just so weird because it's not like a little five by seven. This is like a portrait. It's like in a frame. Huge. 
Yes, in a very... Yeah, it looks thick, like something right. your grandma has, I, like, on her piano. And, and it just makes no sense why you would bring a picture of the person that you're traveling with. Maybe she was, like, handing him out, like, headshots. <laughs> so I thought that was very misplaced. Jessica shows up at, at his door. And this is one of my favorite Jessica Fletcher performances, because she is pretending to be drunk, but she does it in this, like, help me describe this, because I, I don't know. I don't. I... Someone who has never been drunk before is pretending to be drunk, and she's doing it with a full bottle of wine. I admire her commitment to that prop. I wonder uh-huh. if she, like, filled it full of water or something, like, just to kind of sell it. Because she has, yeah. like, that full coat and hat on. Uh-huh. Now that you mention it, I don't either. But you know what she should have done? Is she should have put some lipstick on her teeth. Jessica tells him that she's on to him. She knows what's up. She's going to tell the captain. And then she's going to tell the police. She shows him this photo that andrea took of her and pam and dr mcgill and like half their heads are cut off so like obviously like she's just a really shitty photographer and this is enough to alarm him that he tries to lure her into the room with promises of booze she tells him to fuck off and then she just kind of goes on her little deck walk at night where nobody else is After Jessica leaves, he starts to follow her, but then he comes back and gets a jacket. Mm -hmm. And it's like the brightest red jacket ever. I'm like, if you're going to skulk around and do crimes, like wear something dark colored so people can't see you from outer fucking space. They kind of skulk around for a while. Jess is stumbling, but obviously Jessica knows what's up. She's putting on this whole act for him. She gets to the top of the stairs where Pam fell and it looks for a minute like George is about to push her down the stairs too. And then all of a sudden George is busted and there's like a camera flash and Pam kind of steps out of the shadows with a Polaroid. I think it's a Polaroid and C cop like busts out of nowhere and it's all over in a matter of seconds. They get off the boat and some cops in shorts and funny hats arrest George. So we're not in America anymore, apparently. So our best guess was Bermuda, but that's that's pure speculation. We get like a really short exposition to like cap this episode off. George was a shit weasel He married Andrea and then she told him about her, her son from when she was a teenager and he was trying to, I guess I'm a little bit confused because I know I wanted to kill her, but I'm not sure why he felt the need to terrorize Pam. So Captain Leslie Nielsen is explaining kind of the whole backstory and George finds out or or Andrea tells George about this t- child she has when she was 17 and gave it up for adoption. And George wants to kill Andrea for her money because she's like into real estate or something and has a shit ton of money. And okay, so it makes sense that George would frame Andrea for terrorizing Pam. Because the the theory was, okay, Andrea's going to terrorize Pam because Andrea's pissed off at Pam for Johnny's suicide. Andrea can't actually kill Pam, so she's going to kill herself. Okay, that's weird. I can buy that. But what I don't understand is that previously, George's plan was to first terrorize Johnny. And then when Johnny killed himself... He was like, oh, well, I'll just terrorize Pam instead. But then Pam goes into the sanitarium or sanatorium or whatever it is. And then when Pam leaves the institution, this is his first chance at terrorizing her and setting up his plan in motion that will eventually kill Andrea and make it look like a suicide. But I just don't understand how terrorizing Johnny 
ever made sense or worked into the plan. So the only thing that I could possibly think of is maybe he was afraid that she had like made contact with him that she was going to like reconnect with him and maybe like put him in the well and stuff. But here's the thing. She never made contact with him because there was the, the comments made that shortly before Johnny died, his mom reached out to him, sent him a note. They set up a meeting to meet, but she never showed up. That was actually all George's doing. So, Andrea never knew who Pam was. Andrea never went through to discover who Johnny was. It is very convoluted. But I think the the scheme is that, yes, Andrea is guilty for giving her child up. She hires a private detective to figure out who the child is, where he is. But then before she can have a relationship with him, the child, Johnny, commits suicide. And then Andrea's angry and upset, so she's blaming Johnny's wife. And so she's going to take her revenge and kill Pam. But she is, she, you know, tried to push Pam down the stairs, couldn't do it, or she did it, but that didn't kill her. Now everyone's figuring out that Andrea is terrorizing Pam, so now she has to commit suicide. That was a really long walk, but I think it was the right direction. And I think that's the only sense that can be made out of this. Yes, but George's plan was to initially terrorize Johnny because he set up the meeting with Johnny that was supposed to be between Johnny and his mom. And then... That was like a fake meeting. So I just, I don't understand the point of terrorizing Johnny. I get the, I understand terrorizing Pam, but not Johnny. Yeah. That I'm just. Yeah, that is weird. Because I mean, you could have just left the fucking thing alone and nothing would have happened. Like he could have killed her another way without dragging five other people into this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. She's a, a high power, probably like CEO or CFO or something like make it look like her distress of her job got to her. Yeah, you can fake her suicide at home. Like, <laughs> as we learned from an earlier episode, like just pump her full of barbiturates and stick her near an oven. Exactly. Yeah, like this, it was super con- like convoluted and unnecessary. Yeah, and and Captain Leslie Nielsen doesn't really do a good job of explaining, but what he does say is that George couldn't divorce her because they had only been married for a year. She made all her money before they were married so that none of it was community property. Mm -hmm. And then he asked her to, like, go to dinner with him, and that's the end of the episode. Oh, she says, you're not going to show me your hoochie-coochie, are you? That is how it ends. So, Laura, do you believe in serendipity? Like the the movie with John Cusack? Whatever <laughs> abstract idea that movie was based on. Do you believe yes. in that? Yes. Well, so do I. And would you like to know why? I would love to know why. Because... I was watching this week's episode of Murder, She Wrote, and we had talked about it last week about how this was the one with all the boat stuff. And because I'm a boat expert, obviously, like I was all ready to go. But funny thing is, I ended up watching with an actual boat person who knows like actual boat stuff that isn't just stuff they absorbed like through osmosis. From being in the proximity of boats. And you were just, you just happened to be watching the show and, and your friend was there. Well, we were hanging out and I hadn't watched the show yet and I knew I had to. So I'm like, you guys have to watch it either that, or you can go home. Those are your options. (laughs) So he was a good sport and he watched it with me, which ended up really coming in handy because obviously this episode has a lot about not only boats and ships but like boat law and sea law which is 
something that I feel like we don't have much opportunity to experience, especially since like neither of us probably go on boats a lot. Right. But I am going to turn this over to not friend of the pod. It's somebody who doesn't even really like podcasts that much. So I feel like we should be doubly honored to have him here. Thank you, Cole. Can you introduce yourself? Yes. Hello. Joining you, joining you from the uh, sunny studios of this lab I found empty. My name's Cole. I'm a, a naval living historian, which gives me just all sorts of authority to talk about legal issues. But basically a sea lawyer, if you think about it. But I, I, I was interested about this show because what happens with law at sea? It's actually kind of weird and has only gotten weirder over the years. And it's really, it's this thing called admiralty. And it's a very old fancy word that basically just means boat law. And it's, it's complicated. And oddly enough, it pops up a lot in fringe groups in the U.S., particularly sovereign citizens, uh, talk ask. a lot about admiralty because they believe either they are or are not governed by it, depending on what crazy theory they're currently following. Uh, so the whole thing about where does admiralty law apply? In the olden days, it was basically like three miles offshore was considered to be a territorial limit for a country. It was then expanded in the 50s and 60s to 13, uh, 15 miles offshore, which is where your, your seasteaders come in. They want to get outside that limit. And then we have this weird thing called exclusive economic zones, where it's like, if there's something cool under the water, it's ours. But we don't actually have to have laws concerning what happens on the water. So basically, if you're inside the maritime limit, the laws of whatever country apply. If you're in these exclusive economic zones, then it's kind of a crapshoot whether they apply or not. And then if you're in the quote-unquote open sea, whatever law applies is based on whatever ship you are flagged under. First of all, where are we in this show? I don't think we ever figured that out, but I, I mean, think you... They were being very vague to basically like not try to localize it at all. The couple of things I noticed was that they left from someplace seemingly quite populated that a cruise ship could pull up to. It's so probably not rural coastal Maine. So we were guessing Boston, New Haven, something like that. And they didn't seem to be on the ship very long before they got somewhere. So they didn't seem to go that far. And the cops that did the arresting were wearing ridiculous pith helmets and cute white shorts. So I assumed that they were in Bermuda. Nothing, nothing of that was stated. But the only other thing that was notable was that when they were at shore getting on the ship for the first time, there was both American and Italian flags everywhere, which was a suggestion that the, the, the ship may have been flagged under Italy as opposed to flagged under the United States. Because at the time, and even now, Italy has more lax labor standards and lower taxes. What does that mean? First of all, like, are there any rules about like, picking a flag can you just pick any absolutely flag? not that that is what you were talking about with this idea of uh, flags of convenience where basically it's like being a being a pastor in the universal life church of flags you just go to a man in an office and pay him a very small amount of money and then boom you're now flagged under this country places like panama the philippines liberia are the really bad ones Cambodia and Colombia used to be that way, but they got cracked down on. But it's up to the country you are flagged under to basically make sure your ship is operating legally. And if the country you're flagged under doesn't give a shit, then you can kind of do whatever you want, including treating your sailors like absolute crap, polluting, carrying illegal cargo. Theoretically, you can be inspected by whoever you're delivering the cargo to, but it's an illegal gray area whether they're allowed to do it. It's not all countries allow you to do it. So I think the the biggest part of this kind of in the in the episode is like the the powers of the captain. First of all, Leslie Nielsen is a doll and we all love him. But it seemed like throughout the episode, there was a little bit of a 
confusion as to a what his role was and b what his actual powers were so you know and that, light on that's that. actually true in, in modern stuff as well like what the captain can and can't do is in a weird gray area the, the big thing this pops up a lot with is in terms of pirates to what degree can a captain fight pirates and there's a lot of questions about that because you know murder is still illegal no matter what flag you fly under, but also self-defense is an excuse for most things. But basically what it breaks down to is that, you know, in some situations, a captain is basically just like the loss prevention guy at uh, Target. He can tell you to stop. He can maybe, maybe lock you in a room until the cops show up, but they can't like touch you because that's assault maybe but a captain also has a liability to protect the passengers the seaworthiness of the ship and the cargo so if you are a passenger that interferes with any of those three things particularly the safety of the ship he gets greater powers to restrain you to make sure you basically don't kill any passengers or make the ship sink so in this episode, there was a murder on board the ship. So who, what country or what authority would have jurisdiction to prosecute the murderer? First of all, whatever country the ship was flagged under. So either the US or Italy, whatever port they were going. Because it sounds like the guy got arrested in Bermuda. And thankfully, this is an easy one because murder is illegal everywhere. For things that aren't necessarily illegal in every country, there is also a jurisdiction under the UN because the UN operate under the United Nations uh, Convention of the Sea, and they have their own separate judicial system, kind of like the, the world court that can handle things. They generally don't worry about murder because, again, murder is legal everywhere, but things like cargo that's illegal in some places, but not illegal in other places, things you can do or not do to your crew. Sometimes those will be arbitrated to the UN because maybe the country that you're operating under is cool with it, but you think as a sailor, it's not cool. So you can like bump things up. A big thing, migrants is a huge one. Like if you find migrants on your ship, what do you do with them? That is hugely different depending on what country the ship's flag under. And you can kind of appeal that to the UN. But the captain in this case is sort of like a cross between a security guard and a private eye. He can detain people. He can collect evidence, but he can't really hold suspects so much. Like, if, this is if a he thinks dumb you're a question, danger, but like you're on a ship, where are you going to go? Well, th like, that's the main thing is like you're already basically a, a prisoner. And I saw a very funny chapter. Basically, they just turn cruise ships into prisons because it is what they are. You can't really go anywhere. But the whole thing is, you know. Are you a danger to the crew? Are you a danger to other passengers? Obviously, if you're going to keep a murdering people, they're probably going to want to lock you somewhere. So you stop doing that. But that's kind of under the you know broader principle of like self-defense. That's, that's the idea of the brig. Uh, ships have brigs. Big, big uh, fact, cruise ships have brigs. They got real nice brigs to keep people there. Like white collar prison, but ships. Well, it's just like you're acting an ass. We've got to put you here. And then what will often happen is like, if it's kind of some really minor petty shit, they will just like log what you did and turn it over to the authorities at whatever port you go to. Uh, but you can still like be on the ship and if someone wants to bring charges, that's up to them. But the other thing is like, they also, the captain has the right to kick you off the ship. Like he, he cannot do so unsafely, but if you're acting an ass and they're in port and that is not your port of gall, too bad. We're not going to arrest you. We're not going to charge you anything, but you are no longer allowed to be on this ship. And they will just kick you off wherever the next safe place kick you off at. And then eventually they can, if it gets real bad, yeah, they can put you in the brig and then turn you over to the cops wherever you end up. So I find myself at a loss for words because I don't actually, I didn't actually know any of this like mm. before, like literally just now, which is super cool because that's the point of the expert witness is to learn cool things. And I say this just from the simple fact that we were like sitting next to each other while we were watching this and you kept making all these comments, like, like what really like got up your nose in terms of like inaccuracies in I mean, inaccuracies in, in schmaccuracies. I mean, the things that honestly struck me were 
the things where terminology just stuck around, like the person that runs the books on the ship and handles the cash, they still call them the purser. That is a term that's existed for like 400 years. And like, that's because they literally used to hold the money purse with all of the stuff on the ship and they don't keep their cash in purses anymore, but they still call them pursers. And I thought that was really charming. So I thought that the term purser came from more like a bellhop guy who just carries the women's purses onto the ship. Like he was like a luggage hauler. Oh, so that, that, that's, that's the steward. <laughs> well, I thought it was a purser. Like you, know, you, you still have ship stewards, right? And that was also an old ship position. The ship steward ran the food stocks. They were in charge of keeping account of the food on ship. And that was the steward. And eventually that just became kind of more of like a cooking position. And then eventually just became like effectively a bellhop on ship is now the steward. And it's just, I guess, I think people particularly that serve on cruise ships want to pretend they're still in kind of that really old naval tradition. Like they're doing big sea manly things. They want to keep using the same old terminology and all that. Like I'm sure the guys on that ship still call themselves sailors, even though there's not a sail anywhere on board because sailors seems cool. So they call themselves sailor. And of course the uniforms are just like just crisp and white and everyone has epaulets and everyone's epaulets are different for all their little roles. And it's just, everyone's in their dress whites all of the time. And they get even prettier uniforms on to go to dinner. And it's just like, you are adorable. Like you are trying so hard to just seem like the biggest cracker jacks that ever lived. And it's just like, that's, that's cute. <laughs> So my ex-boyfriend was a deckhand on a yacht, but it was a private yacht, but it was like a big ass one with staff. And he had to be like an actual merchant marine for some reason to qualify. Is that like a thing? Like what, what is the deal with that? Yeah. So like, for example, our, our Captain Leslie Nielsen there, to be a captain, he has to be licensed as a master mariner. So it is it is a school you go to and you get effectively a... They call it a master's license, not a captain's license. That's a distinction that used to be a lot more important back in the day and doesn't really mean much now between a master and a captain. Because back in the day, captains usually were also the owners of the ship, whereas the masters ran the ship day to day. And now today, in these days, the captains run the ship day to day and the owners of the boat are some faceless corporation somewhere in the Philippines that don't even know you exist. How did you get into this hobby? An ex of mine, actually, when she was not my ex, dragged me into the uh, hobby. They were getting a ride up to uh, an event up in Have de Grace here in Maryland. They were actually taking the Pride of Baltimore, which is a two-masted sailing ship that sails in and around here in, in Maryland, taking it up there, but the boat wasn't going back. It was going back up the East Coast when they were done, so they needed a ride back. And she was like, oh, you should come and give me a ride back and hang out with these people. And then they gave me, uh, they put a hat on me and they gave me some rum and <laughs> one thing led to another and it basically just became grown-up Boy Scouts to me. So that's kind of how they hooked me. What would you have done if you were Captain Leslie Nielsen? I mean, it's interesting. One of the things that, I, that struck me is so interesting interesting about it was the was actually the telex machine this thing that could actually print documents at sea and that was one of the the things that changed so much and why admiralty law had to change was basically getting information out to ships was hard because they're in the middle of the ocean so back in the day it was actually really hard to know like this is what the courts were for because you basically had to prove what a captain or crew knew and when they knew it, because maybe they literally weren't aware that they couldn't do this thing anymore because they were at sea and they didn't get thing that the law changed. Or the big thing was like with privateers is that, you know, they got a thing from the king saying, I can attack ships of this country. Oh, well, our two countries are now at peace. If I pretend that I didn't know that you're at peace, I can still attack these ships and I can get them as prize money. Yeah. I guess the, the, the other weird thing for me was the whole again because again the, the captain is both is legally liable for the the safety of the passengers so it was such a weird pull for leslie nielsen to be like well sure there's a killer on board but he's not going to attack random people he's here for a specific reason it's like captain nielsen you don't know that <laughs> that's just like oh it's that's a huge leap and just like well sure they tried to kill one person but that's just because they don't like that one person. Everyone else is per sure, surely fine. 
It's, it's the old, you know, it's the mayor from Jaws. It's just like, well, we don't want to alarm the passengers and like reduce whatever. So it's like, no, I think you are. I think you actually might have had a legal responsibility to tell the passengers that there was a threat to their safety on board. I think so might have the, actually gotten in trouble for that. Mayor of Jaws, governor of Florida, kind of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> well, we, we can't. Also, it's like, that's dumb. They've already paid their fare. They're already on the ship. They can't leave. It's like they're going to take their money and go home, Captain Nielsen. Tell them they're in danger. <laughs> like, well, there's no, a murder on the, board. You turn the ship the around right now. And my money back. The lawsuits. The bad press. No one's ever going to want to go on a cruise again. Well, but if someone dies, the captain is liable. Yeah, is the like, captain personally liable or? Yes, the captain is personally liable. That Italian cruise ship that overturned a couple of years back in Italy, where the captain like clearly like left super early and didn't try to oversee the safety of the passengers, he was held liable. It wasn't necessarily his fault that they got into an accident, but that he, that that he did not then behave safely afterward is his fault, and he was held liable for it, and he went to jail. Oh, th- so th- this was fun. I was looking this up. You know the whole thing where captains can marry people out on on sea. Yeah. Not true. Oh, what? oh! I guess you have to. I guess you you would still have to get the separate like license through the state. Yeah, you'd have to do whatever. But a, a, a captain is not an automatic efficient unless you're in a country whose flag says that he is, and that's like only like two or three countries in the entire world. Um, what if your captain went on the internet and got ordained? On the internet, yeah. Like it, if the captain wants to go get ordained as a Universal Life Church chaplain, then that's cool. But just the fact that he is a captain does not mean anything in terms of a marriage license. So I got married on a yacht. The captain was ordained, but he was not the one to marry us. What was that movie? Um, African Queen. There was a marriage that happened there because you know captains can marry people. They weren't even in international waters. They were on a river. They were still very much governed by the laws of whatever river that country was in. So that's like even doubly like you can't just because anyone can call yourself a captain. I can go buy a rowboat and call myself a captain. That doesn't mean anything. (laughs) I would just like to call out Laura here for giving me all this shit about being a boat person and neglecting to inform me that she got married on a boat. So I feel like that makes you more of a boat person. Is that is this the first time that's coming up? Yeah, just oh. like that time you went like four months without knowing my last name. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, I got I got married on a boat in uh, San Diego. Oh, wow. Now who's fancy? There, there's a quote I super want to find that is one of my favorite quotes. I did not bring it up. So give me like one minute to try to find it. Is it about the sea? Well, well basically, it's about a lot of things that can concern this in the US is are things like the Jones Act, which concerns, you know, what things can be done at sea and kind of the, your rights as a sailor. And the guy that made the Jones Act was a big guy that was into basically sailors as a, as a labor force. So he was like, did strike actions as sailors. And he has this great um, quote during that, during those fights about, it's such a great quote because that's worse than what it's like to just be a sailor. If you ever listen to like seafaring songs, like half of them are just like how great sailor is and, you know, how great it is to be out on the water and so on and so forth. And that just like being a sailor sucks shit. And this is the worst thing. And why would anyone ever want to do this for yourself? Oh, here we go. Here we go. So the, yeah, this is basically what he told the people trying to break the, the sailor strike. when this was described as for a credo, which is you can put me in jail but you cannot give me narrow quarters and as a seaman I have always had. You cannot give me coarser food than I have always eaten. You cannot make me lonelier than I have always been. Just like, you, you can't hurt me. Being a seaman is so shitty. I've already experienced the worst thing in the world. You said seaman. <laughs> yeah, I figured it's obligatory at this point. Every nautical-based conversation has to have one seaman drop. Well, it's, it's this weird thing where like everyone knows the joke, so people want to say sailor, but technically you can't be a sailor unless you operate on a ship with sails, 
So seaman is the term of art, but no one likes saying it. People just prefer to use sailor incorrectly. <laughs> I think in this day and age, we should be able to say sea person. This is true. Agreed. But then again, if you call someone sea people, maybe they think they're a mermaid. Oh, you're right. Sorry, merperson. Damn. Yep. As our society moves forward and language gets a little more complicated, these are things, these are very real problems we have to deal with. And, and so, this is why we stay woke. Stay woke. I think the first thing that like might be of more interest is like kind of what's going on with this birth certificate slash adoption records because it wasn't very clear what they were trying to do because... As far as I know, birth certificates aren't, like, sealed unless, like, the court sealed them or something, which maybe I can see if the if the mother was a minor. This stuff goes into public record, like, in the vital statistics. It's a little bit of a bureaucratic jumble, but it doesn't seem to require any, like, top secret circumventing of the justice system and it just seemed like they were trying to do something sneaky by bringing in dr mcgill's friend the judge to which i say a like judges have like they can't just do favors for their golf buddies right i mean they do but they shouldn't absolutely do there was a judge when i interned at a public defender's office he was constantly in trouble for doing shit like sealing his best friend's divorce record you're not I mean you have you can seal records like that but there has to be a good reason and just because like your buddy cheated on his wife and you don't want the whole world knowing it's not you know a legal reason I feel like we're trying to apply like a system of rules and logic to something that was just supposed to be like wink wink my brother's friend's gonna do us a favor favor because i'm super well connected yeah which leads me to something that i want to talk about is kind of the importance of handwriting analysis and there are several times when jessica and pam and captain leslie nielsen make almost like expert conclusions that the person that wrote this letter obviously wrote this letter. And I think that handwriting analysis is very interesting because it's not like an exact science. It's, it's almost like a pseudoscience. It's not like testing for DNA where like these genetic mar- markers match up perfectly with these genetic markers. Like what you're doing is you're having someone who, yes, has gone through education and training compare and look at like the physical characteristics and patterns of handwriting which is kind of subjective and I what a lot of states are doing which I kind of I think is kind of the the better position to take here is that people that qualify as experts in handwriting analysis they can only testify as to the difference and similarities in comparing different handwriting samples, but cannot ultimately testify to whether or not this person here absolutely wrote this letter or document or did not write this letter. Yeah, I I guess I thought that was just like circumstantial evidence that she processed as a lay person and it was part of a larger picture. I kind of like science or the kind of like pseudoscience like really really bugs me too and blood spatter evidence is kind of recently starting to be questioned as a science it was never even was crazy it was never it was just like once blood spatter you know testimony or evidence came on scene it was just it was just accepted that you know we're using trigonometry and you know whatever else and this is just it's a fact that we are accepting and there's nothing else to it but it's now there's there's more research that's showing it's it is a pseudoscience and that two different experts can come up with two different you know two completely different conclusions as to you know, what kind of weapon or where the person was standing. So that has been depressing legal talk. (laughs) Laura, 
Did you like this episode? I really did like this episode. I loved Leslie Nielsen. I loved Vicki Lawrence. As sinister as it was, I really liked the whole gaslighting concept because it was creative. Obviously, I didn't like the loose ends again with the whole, like, why are we tormenting Johnny? You know, there's that I can't really follow. But overall, I'm going to give it eight ashtrays. I give it like seven and a half ashtrays because, well, first of all, you know how much I like boats. Second of all, I thought that also like the gaslighting thing was like an interesting approach to it as well. And like a plot device that I feel like a lot of people strive to use, but never really do it that well. But I felt like it appropriately fucked with her. And I thought that was actually pretty well executed. And you know, like Leslie Nielsen and drunk Jessica, she, there's like a handful of times in murder she wrote where Jessica has to pretend to be drunk, whether she's hypnotized or she's trying to get information or whatever. And it's always funny. And uh, while you were soaking up the sun did you find a golden grady i did this one was a little difficult but i decided to give it to the bodyguard slash sea cop who doesn't have any lines i think and i i think captain leslie nielsen's reasoning behind you know dubbing this sea cop the bodyguard is because he was the most or the least indispensable person on board he was just kind of like some random (laughs) seaman (laughs) that was just walking around that didn't have a job to do so the captain was like hey you (laughs) idiot face you go watch her this isn't our first double golden grady i don't think Uh, but i felt the same way just the fact that like It's like, okay, guy, here's, like, a very basic job to do. And, like, I I guess he didn't really do it badly, but he didn't really do a great job either. He just was kind of there. Yeah. He was just there. Yeah. He was just, just like, a potter. He was just, like, occupying space and time and, like, not... I mean, he sort of got in the way a couple times, which is what Grady does, but, like... Yeah. Yeah, just... Yeah. So next episode looks like Murder She Wrote does Clue. So this one is season one, episode 16, Paint Me a Murder. And this has a really interesting guest star that I am pretty excited about, who is Cesar Romero. The I remember him specifically from when he played the Joker oh, yes. in the Adam West Batman, and he refused to shave his mustache, so he put the <laughs> Joker paint over his mustache, so you can like still see it. The birthday celebration of for renowned Mediterranean artist is cut short when the guest of honor winds up dead. So I imagine there's an accusing parlor in this episode. And Cesar Romero and Excellent. The I love those things. Until next time, thank you for listening to this thing. And thanks thanks to our expert witness Cole. And to Jeremy and Rachel who helped make things look respectable. And to Maddie, our web yes, person. Thank you, Maddie. Rate review and subscribe. And until next time, stay woke. Stay woke.